Welcome in to another exciting episode of the Talking Ball Y'all podcast. We've got two great interviews laid out in front of you on this episode. We'll visit with New Stone, Tomcats head coach Jacob Acock, and also Tyler Mond, the play-by-play voice for Pool A of the World Baseball Classic Tournament. And we'll get a breakdown for him on just how exciting this WBC has been. And then we dive deep with Coach Acock and his new role there with Stone. So we appreciate you for listening. Thank you. If you're looking for a place for that much-needed pregame meal, a place to just take in the game, or a place to have your post-game celebration, visit Champion Sports Bistro. They are a family-oriented sports bistro located at 113 West Canal Street in downtown Picayune. With food and drink specials throughout the week, Champions is a great place to enjoy lunch or dinner. They are open Monday through Thursday, 11 to 10, and Friday and Saturday, 11 to 1. Champion Sports Bistro is Picayune's bistro for Champions. The Greater Picayune Area Chamber of Commerce provides the tools you need to succeed as a business owner and community influencer. As a member of the Chamber, your commitment has personal payback. The Chamber offers numerous opportunities to get involved throughout the year, whether it is through networking events, committee involvement, community programs, or special events. By taking advantage of the Chamber's resources, your business can develop and thrive. Visit us at greaterpicunechamber.org or drop by our office, which is located at 201 Highway 11 North. We are excited now to be joined by head football coach of the Stone Tomcats, Jacob Acock. Coach Acock, first of all, man, congratulations. Thanks for taking time for the show. Yes, sir. Uh, anytime I get a chance to talk to you, it's uh, exciting for me, and I look forward to it. Coach, man, it's, uh, it's bittersweet. I'm super excited for you, but, boy, let's start – Let's start where you're leaving, man, if you're okay with that. Um, our good times that we've shared with the green and gold and, and that Popperville football program. Let's start there, Coach, how special a time you've had as the defensive coordinator there for the last few years and the great football that y'all have played on that side and great football overall. Let's talk about how special that Popperville program and that Popperville fan base, the student athletes, and the staff have, have been to you and your family? Well, well I'll have to start there. Uh, the staff, the coaching staff, you know, I, I've coached there for three years now, but honestly, I've built relationships with those coaches on staff. Like, I spent on them for 10 plus years, mm -hmm. you know. Um, th those are some of my better friends now. I talk to those coaches every day uh, I'm all the time picking their brain about football and and even catching up with them on the golf course uh, here and there whenever we get the opportunity to so uh, the coaching staff is is are people who are special to me and and I'll definitely keep in touch with and then as far as the the fan base it's been unreal sometimes on Friday nights I, I had to step back and just look at the crowd and listen to uh the band and the chants and, and, you know, sometimes I even thought, am I at a high school game or a college football <laughs> yeah. game? Because the, the community supports it so, so well, even on those long road trips. So just a great three years um, and, and made some great relationships with the football players, uh, the coaching staff and the administration over there. It's just our, our great people that, 
that supported me through through this past three years. Yeah, and man, great football has been played there under Coach Beach. Uh, some things that potentially Coach Haycock that you'll try to steal or that you've learned from Coach Beach and, and that coaching staff. And, and not to give trade secrets, but just kind of a tip of a hat or a show of respect in a way that he's built and run that program. Well, uh, whenever I think about Popperville football and more specifically Coach Beach um, and his staff, it's consistency. Uh, you know, I get asked all the time, what are the secrets? What, are, what is everything? What's going on at Popperville that are, <laughs> is not going on in other places? And honestly, uh, people think I'm just giving a too generic of an answer whenever I say how consistent Coach Beach is, you know, and everything he does, his, his approach every day. Um, the kids never have to guess what he's thinking or expecting. You know, high expectations at Popperville uh, in the weight room, on the field, on the practice field. Um, and even in the classroom, he pushes that side of it too. So um, if I steal anything from Coach Beach, it would be uh, how consistent he is as a coach um, and how he treats the kids and builds up those relationships with the kids and with his staff. Uh, I'd have to say that um, Coach Beach is also a great coach of other coaches. Uh, just in my three years working with him, uh, he's coached me along the way. I've learned so much from him. Um, offensively, um, anytime I have a question, he, he wants to put it on the board. Let's talk about it. So, um, you know, he just has a way of, of building tough kids and, and kids who will grow into being tough young men. Uh, and then, you know, I worked alongside Coach Johnson all three years as a defensive line coach, and maybe the best the best relationship builder that I've ever been around. Uh, he just has a heart for the kids and wants what's best for them. Um, and then in turn, um, the, the effort that they play with is, is unmatched in, in most games. So um, I think that I've, I've been around some great people. Uh, Coach DeWeese on staff is somebody that, that I've talked to, again, like, like I've known for 10-plus years. Uh, Coach Russell is, is somebody that, that I joke around with daily. He actually <laughs> uh, reached out to me today and, and – was giving me a hard time already about week two next year. So mm -hmm. um, just everybody on the staff has, has been special to me, um, and I've, I've been able to um, uh, meet their families, and I love their families, and, and they've loved all my kids as well. So just a special time these past three years. Jacob, you came to that staff, I can remember not knowing you, not have met you yet, but I was already in a group text thread with them, you know, actually asking for prayer for you and your bride and your family. And so, man, that was to me like an instant, you know, relationship builder when you come into a situation and then you have something in your personal life and those guys, uh, like I said, before I, I knew who you were, I was already in, in prayer for you due to a, a group text there from them. And that, that kind of sped the relationship building up, didn't it? It did. Um, I came in and my wife was sick whenever she had um, our, our daughter. She had complications and they were both uh, you know, pretty, pretty bad off for, for over a week. And it was just as I was transitioning to Popperville. And it was unbelievable. Mr. Will, hmm. our now superintendent, uh, he showed up at the hospital, uh, had never really talked to me much more than the interview, and said, hey, look, we have your days covered. We have uh, your pay covered. Like, you're, you're fine. Don't worry about anything on our end. 
And that was literally, you know, a weekend to me working wow. in the Popperville School District. So uh, from day one, it was a, a leadership thing that, that just caught me off guard in, in a great way. Um, Coach Beach, the, the whole coaching staff was right there um, alongside me as, as we went through that time. Uh, and now I fast forward three years, and, and it's just, uh, like you said, we look back and it's just something that made us feel a lot closer than we were. Uh, almost from day one. Jacob, let's get into what attracted you to the Stone uh, job, man. You're going to walk into a, and I say walk in, you've certainly earned it, but right into a 5A position. That's really pretty rare uh, for a first-time head coach in our state and certainly speaks to what you've been able to do as a, a coordinator. But what attracted you to the Stone job? Well, I have to say, uh, I'm humbled to have this opportunity because there are a lot of great coaches out there that uh, that would want that position. Like you said, it's a head job at a 5A school. I can tell you personally, um, the Stone job was attractive to me. Uh, one, because I've, I've coached against them and I've seen the type of kids that they have. You know, uh, much like Popperville, they're going to play hard. They're going to give uh, their best effort. And I feel like uh, at Stone County, they have a group of uh, kids that believe that they can compete with anybody on the, on the schedule. Um, and we'll need that moving forward. Like you mentioned, they're going to move from 4A to 5A. So that confidence that, that I've seen, uh, and then also I have to give credit to their community as well. You know, they play at the college, and um, their home games, they, they brought a, a great fan base. And that's something that um, I look forward to a part of. Um, I thought that when we played them in the third round, I thought that the environment, the atmosphere, everything felt like it should. It was exciting on both sidelines. Um, I thought that uh, the crowd was into it. And, and just an attractive job for me, too, because uh, of where it is in relationship to my house. And then once I met with their athletic director, um, we, we share a lot of the same goals. Um, I think he's a guy who works hard. Um, I think he um, doesn't take many days off. And I felt like, uh, again, we had a lot in common. I think that uh, we'll work well together. Coach, when you look at it, sometimes in the college jobs and the college ranks, there's a kind of a saying, you don't want to be the man after the man. You know, that's kind of a, a tough deal to follow after uh, maybe a guy that's had a good run at a place. But I'm going to turn it the other way, and, and on the high school level, I would think that you're going to walk into a, a, a culture that John Feaster has helped foster there and that uh, things will be pretty settled in, so to speak, and he's done a good job of, of building that program. Is that kind of how you see it, Coach Aycock? It is. I, uh, I've actually only been there two days as of now um, because they will be on spring break next week. But I got to go in and meet the team and watch them finish their their maxes. They max this week, um, and I just stepped back and and let the other coaches that are currently there run it, and and I let the kids have it for the last couple of days. And what I've seen are kids that are eager. They're eager to uh, meet the new coach and learn a new system. But then they also were were working really hard, and it was something. Uh, good for me to see coming in. So I do think the culture there has been built up and created in a way that it's something that we can build off of. And I had a big senior class, so that's obviously something that, 
that I was looking for the last couple of dates too. What kids are going to step up? Where are your leaders coming from? Um, and that's something that was exciting for me to see that, that what, there were definitely some underclassmen that, that seemed like they want to fill those roles. Coach, when you look at it, your style of defense, if you can tell our listeners you're a defensive-oriented uh, guy, you're coming over, as we've mentioned a few times already, from the defensive side for Popperville. If you want to tell the Stone uh, listeners what type of style of football that, that y'all will look to play, especially on the defensive side, and then if you'll kind of give us a preview or a glimpse on uh, what you are offensively would, would maybe look like, if you know that at this point. Okay, well, defensively, uh, as far as the style and maybe even philosophy, uh, we want to put kids in positions that fits them the best uh, according to their skill level and then let them play fast. Um, I think uh, a clear mind equals fast feet. I think a cloudy mind equals slow feet. So we want to install our defense in a way that it makes sense to the kids. Um, and, And that way on Friday night, they know what's going on and they can play really fast. Um, and the faster you play, the more physical you're able to play. And then the more physical you play, the, the more turnovers. So, you know, everything that we will do defensively will be aimed towards creating turnovers. We will um, try to attack the football um, and we'll try to take some chances when we have, when, when we feel the time. Um, and that way we can give the ball back to our offense. Um, so I think defensively it should be a product that will be fun to watch. Um, and hopefully exciting for the fans to see. Are you going to bring an end or a, a player like Tank Trotter, who had to be probably close to leading a, <laughs> the state all time in defensive touchdowns, co- huh, Coach, through the past few years there yeah. at Popperville? That was an incredible uh, run that he had on actually scoring the football from the defensive side. Yes. Uh, I think that uh, Nikhil Trotter, you know, he's going to play. He's on the team. Uh, at Pearl River Community College now, I think that uh, he's one of the more versatile players that I've coached because we moved him from defensive end to linebacker. And like you said, he was able to have, I want to say, five career defensive touchdowns. And I couldn't tell you off the top of my head how many turnovers he had. Uh, but he had some interceptions that were pretty impressive for, uh, you know, a 215-pound kid. Uh, so... Yes, we're looking for, for guys like that. And and being in the weight room at Stone County the last couple of days, I think there are some kids that fit that same mold. Um, again, I think they're, they're excited. You know, in two weeks, we'll get them back from spring break and we'll start going out and, and installing. And we'll have to uh, find our direction and our identity somewhat quick because spring ball is right around the corner. So, um Definitely exciting defensively. I um, mean, and if we flip over to offense, uh, they have several skill guys right now, including their quarterback, that are at baseball. So uh, that might be something that we do a little bit later. But we'll definitely go ahead and start installing um, with the guys who are who are currently in that fourth block class right now. Um, we'll start that again in about two weeks, um, and I can tell you. Uh, Formation-wise, philosophy-wise, will be similar to uh, what you saw out of them this past season. Um, Again, I think it's a quarterback who um, can make plays with his arm, also gives you the option to, to make plays with his feet, and so we'll start there and work our way out.
Coach, when you look at, I know you're such a passionate guy. I wanted to go back to something you said at the front end of that answer about allowing the kids to, to play fast. Kind of give the listeners a look into the way that you break down film and study film. And you do all the kind of complex stuff in your film study and then try to simplify it. Uh, for the kids, but you're kind of a gym rat when it comes to that, uh, I, I call it the huddle machine, but uh, where you go in and break down the film. So what will that look like for a head coach, man, now that you'll have to kind of take on some other duties, but you'll be running that huddle machine pretty ragged, I imagine, huh? Yes. So uh, I actually, aside from the Friday night excitement of the game and and to go even further, building relationships with each individual player. Uh, you know, the, the huddle and the watching film, that's that's one of my most favorite parts of high school football because it's so easily accessible. You know, you can watch it on your phone or your computer or your, however you want to watch it. Uh, and then that's that's just something that I've fallen in love with. So, so I'm a big guy on breaking down film. Uh, I love looking at tendencies and trying to figure out um, offensive coordinators trying to get in their mind and here's their playbook and this is what they're going to run and when they're going to run it and this is why they would run it um, and then that way on the flip side we can we can tell our kids throughout the week this is what you should expect you know on this down and distance or in this scenario maybe this part of the field um, and so again that just gives one more small detail to our kids that might help them play a step faster and speed definitely um, a huge part for us defensively coach i know you've had a lot uh go on the last few days man i can hear the excitement in the voice i can't wait to see uh the job you're gonna do i'm thankful to count you as a a friend man i'm i'm proud for you and i appreciate you taking this uh, 15 or 20 minutes with me i i hope that we'll catch many uh many times that we can catch up both off the air and on, but congratulations again, Coach. Yes, I really appreciate what you do um, just in the whole area. It's just a great great thing to get listeners involved and um, helping them to feel like they, they know what's going on, and I definitely want, uh, want to be a part of it any, any chance I get, so I appreciate you. Oh, man, I know Jason, Jeff, and all of us at the Talking Ball Y'all crew are, like I said, we're awfully proud of you, Coach, and we'll send them in a little bit of what, what Cruz said about that second week, man, but we're we're proud of you, and it, it made me think, even before you got to Cruz, if, if he's going back, and, and I imagine that he might listen to this interview, when you mentioned a chance, I imagine Cruz was thinking, I hope he hears, here we go again, so he can't get it out of his head that second week. That would be a typical Cruz-Russell response, but... Man, we certainly right. are proud of you, man. Well, I appreciate it. It's going to be a challenge, but uh, we are looking forward to competing in 5A, and, and I think the kids are, are excited about it too. Well, thank you, Coach, and good luck, Coach. Yes, sir. Thank you. It feels good to buy local. Whether you're supporting your community's small businesses, family-owned restaurants, or Farm Bureau Insurance, the local agents at Farm Bureau Insurance are dedicated to always helping you protect what's important. Farm Bureau Insurance is headquartered right here in Mississippi with local agents in your community. If you're shopping for car, home, or life insurance in the Popleville area, call Kate Amaker at 601-795-4585 
Or if you're in the Picayune Carrier area, call Robert Hester, Lane Kazan, or me, Ross Gilbo, at 601-798-2861. And go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau Casualty, Southern Farm Bureau Life Insurance Company, Jackson, Mississippi. Johnson Farms and Meat Market. Where can you find a full-service butcher shop that carries only the finest beef? From Mississippi farm-raised corn-fed cattle? Why, that would be Johnson Farms and Meat Market in Picayune. Shop at johnsonfarms.com or stop in at the corner of Highway 11 and North Hall in Picayune. Johnson Farms and Meat Market, where quality beef begins. Now I'm excited to be joined by Tyler Mon, who had the pleasure of doing uh, play-by-play, providing play-by-play coverage um, for television for the World Baseball Classic Pool A Play. Tyler, welcome to the program. Clay, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Tyler, let's dive right into it, man. What was the experience like getting the opportunity uh, to call that coverage during Pool A? Man, it was, uh, I mean, it sounds hyperbolic, but it was the greatest experience of my professional life. It was uh, amazing. I've been really fortunate to broadcast some cool stuff, um, but nothing nothing has compared, and I'm not sure if anything will compare uh, to those five days and ten games. Um, just the, the crowds, the energy, the ballpark, the games that we had. I mean, we were really lucky. We didn't really have any clunker games. Um, it was... Uh, I could not have asked for anything more. If I would have drawn up a best case scenario before the event, uh, this exceeded that in every single way. It was it was pretty incredible. Yeah, y'all saw some really competitive um, baseball. I guess the most competitive of the pools, in my opinion, when you look at the way that it uh, played out. Some a couple key moments or a couple standout uh, moments from the game, uh, Tyler. Some highlights uh, for you on the call. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, the, the back-to-back nights, Friday and Saturday, that were kind of the Yu Chang show in front of those fans mm-hmm. in Taiwan, those were the those were the moments for me. I mean, Friday night, um, to get that win over Italy was so huge for, for Chinese Taipei. They had lost their first game to Panama. And, um, you know, they did it in such an emphatic fashion. It was a kind of a shootout game, but they had three home runs. And Sid uh, Wei Lin hit one out, and then Yu Chang hit one out. And then my favorite name, um, not only in the classic, but maybe like in the history of names, Gungwon Gilligalau. Mm-hmm. Uh, he homered and, uh, and kind of lifted them to the win. He gave them some breathing room late that game. And... You know, we were leaving that game, and my color analyst, Ryan Roland-Smith, and I were sitting in the, the van on the way back to the hotel, and the van was quiet, and we're all exhausted from the doubleheader, and uh, I said, broke the silence and said, how do we top that tomorrow? Mm-hmm. And everybody busted out laughing in the van, and then the next day, we had another classic. I mean, they went up against the Netherlands, and Yu Chang had a grand slam, um, and he's a guy who, you know, he's a, he's a homeland favorite uh, in Taiwan, and um, initially had been asking not to be selected for that team because he wanted to be able to sign a major league deal, compete for a job in big league spray training. And, uh, and Taiwanese fans were really pretty hurt by that. And he reversed his decision, um, came back. And, you know, it's one thing if, if you come back and he would have played in five games and went, you know, two for 20 with eight strikeouts or something like that because his, his heart wasn't in it. But he came back, he was pool A MVP, um, and he really defined that week. And uh, he gave those fans something to pour themselves into. And I will, I'll never 
forget that the relationship between him and that team, him and those fans, uh, you know, the last day there when Chinese Taipei lost its final game uh, against Cuba, he was, he was sobbing in the dugout and coming off the field, uh, knowing that his world baseball classic experience had come to an end. Um, that is one of my favorite stories that I will ever uh, experience in sports and um, something that will live with me for a really long time. Tyler, we go from not too far removed from having sporting activities with no fans into seeing what this is like um, with the in, in most locations. It has just been unreal. It really uh, crawls through the TV. Sometimes that's hard for an atmosphere to do. But boy, has this World Baseball Classic and the fans reaction really done that, hasn't it? Yeah, Clay, and I'm really glad you bring that up because it when we got there, I started thinking to myself, like, man, it was three ago, three years ago this week that mm. the world shut down. Like, it was, it was right around that same time because I, I do college basketball broadcasting work. We had just wrapped up our conference tournament and headed home when all the shutdowns hit. And I remember, you know, uh, at the at the risk of uh, divulging personal details about a difficult time in everybody's life, like I, I got home. The first day, the day that Major League Baseball shut down spring training, the NBA, the NHL went on hiatus. I went home and had a panic attack because I lost all of my work, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and I had just bought a house six months earlier. And, um, you know, you just get into that feeling where you work in an industry that's already so so fickle and so finicky and then something completely out of your control comes along and robs you of everything and i thought like did i just see my my life end my career mm -hmm. end like what, what's happening and then if you could have told me like hang on for a little while three years from now you're going to be broadcasting your dream event in the most incredible location with the most amazing fans and not only that, but yeah, we would have recovered and we've got full stadiums and we've got, um, you know, the ability for people to, to yell and cheer and hug and express themselves in a way that we for a while wondered would ever be possible again. Um, that really was one of the underlying currents of this whole thing that just made it all the more incredible because it's not just about how great the baseball was and how great the, you know, the, the television coverage was or whatever else. It's about people being back together and sharing something that they love again. Um, and that's that I know from now on I'll, I'll never be able to take for granted um, now that we lost it and we've got it back. Tyler, as a broadcaster, I know we most of the time pull for clean and, and relatively uh, quick ball games, but we also pull for storylines, right? Things that we can uh, dig up and be able to tell the listeners or the viewers about this thing, man. It really brings them out, doesn't it? I mean, that when you're watching yes. it and you're being able to broadcast it, there's just storylines all over the place. That's my favorite thing about this event, and it's been my favorite thing about this event since it started in 2006. And you know, being able to do broadcast with with an Australian guy, I was really good friends with one of the earliest World Baseball Classic stories. You know, Ryan Rowland Smith told our crew the story of Peter Moylan, who um, you know had a 10 year big league career, and, and Peter's story is um, something that was made possible by the World Baseball Classic. The the TLDR version, he uh, was signed as a, an amateur, um, you know, back in his teenage years, went over to the United States, uh, got released pretty quickly, was back in Australia um, doing pharmaceutical sales and just pitching in kind of a, you know, a, a beer league, if you will, and decided he was going to um, drop his arm slot down, see what he could do as a side armor. 
And in 2006, the World Baseball Classic comes along, and um, Baseball Australia's, uh, you know, the minds there went to Peter Moylan and said, hey, man, you're throwing low 90s out of this arm angle that people don't see, and people certainly don't throw low 90s from uh, very often in the early, mid-2000s. So do you want to be on this World Baseball Classic team? And he was like, well, yeah, I mean, there's no way I'm throwing low 90s, but sure, I'll give it a shot. And uh, he gets out there, and He's on a pitcher's mound, and Bobby Cox, uh, then still the, the legendary manager with Atlanta, sees Peter Moylan, loves him, signs him to a deal, and Moylan goes on to a 10-year career in the big leagues, you know, pushes through multiple Tommy John surgeries and becomes a, a cult hero, and now he's on the, the television coverage in Atlanta. You know, that was 2006. That was one of the early stories. Um, but even this year, you know, you've got the, the pitcher from Nicaragua who had never played an affiliated ball before, and that guy signs a contract because he goes out and works nasty ball and strikes out three big league all stars um you know in our pool i i mentioned yu chang's story um but even the guys you know the rebranding of the the netherlands baseball program to kingdom of the netherlands to encompass you know aruba and curacao and st martin and uh the baseball playing areas of that kingdom outside of mainland europe uh was so cool the the italy guys who really discovered a lot of their roots um you know the fletcher brothers dominic and david their mother uh being from florence they were uh part of the the trip that Mike Piazza organized for his guys back in November. Uh, and they got to go to Florence and meet some distant family members. And, you know, they, they still remembered some of the Italian that their mom spoke to them while they were growing up. Their story was incredible. Um, you know, the Panama guys who we saw come through the qualifier. Now they don't have to qualify again. Uh, which is fantastic for Panama. They've been in three straight qualifiers. They finally made it out, um, and they finished fourth in that pool, so they don't have to go back through the qualifiers. And, and that Cuba team, I mean, that is arguably the most fascinating roster in the history of baseball. The the geopolitical things, um, welcoming big leaguers back to play for Cuba for the first time ever, the, the guys who defected and decided that they did want to play and represent their home country, and the guys who decided that they didn't want to play and represent their home country. And that team, the first two days in Taiwan, they looked rough. I mean, they looked just very lost. And to rally, win their last two games, make it to Tokyo, knock out Australia, now you've got the most fascinating roster in Cuban baseball history going of all places to mm. Miami sure. to play in the semis. It's just, um, yeah, we were very lucky to be uh, bestowed with a ton of great storylines. And I mean, it really is, it's an honor to be able to tell those people's stories because that's what this event is about. It's not just about the baseball. It's about the stories uh, of these players and of their families and of the people who made their careers and their baseball lives possible. Um, and we were just really lucky to have a lot of, a lot of good ones inside Jones. Tyler, you mentioned uh, some of the makeup of the rosters, the the on the field. When you look at the the pressure of DeRosa's under coaching the USA team and, and Cuba and some of these uh, teams where it's very easy to look at a roster or a lineup on paper and say, boy, they're really stacked. They'll walk through an opponent and not um, really factor in the meshing and the, the team play. How interesting has that been? Uh, to kind of watch and, and to know, hey, baseball is a team sport. It takes a little time sometimes to uh, figure it out and kind of gel together. That's the truth. And it's something that, that Ryan, my color guy, uh, talked about a lot, that it's really not easy. You know, the thing that makes the World Baseball Classic so unique and so cool is that it's so different as baseball goes because baseball is not a, a sport 
that uh, relies a lot on small sample sizes or on one game matchups or on, uh, you know, the types of things that we see in a tournament format. Um, and that's what's so fascinating about this is it's not easy to get 30 guys together, um, most of whom have not played together either ever or in a really long time. You know, in the case of a roster like, let's say, Cuba or the Netherlands, I mean, these guys have probably played together a lot at the youth level, but probably not much in recent years. Um, it takes some time to get those things figured out and to figure out the uh, the mojo in a clubhouse and kind of the, the atmosphere of a, a roster and who your leaders are going to be on the field, who your leaders are going to be in the clubhouse. Um, and I think we're seeing it, you know, the U.S. I think is in this spot right now. Cuba was definitely in this spot after the first couple of days where it's coming together and you want to be playing your best baseball as you get deeper into this tournament. And, you know, I know Japan has played exceedingly well throughout, so we'll see uh, what they bring with them uh, from Tokyo because they have looked like a dominant force. Uh, but, you know, I think the team that you might be able to point at, and I didn't get a chance to really watch a lot of their games, but I think the team that you point at and say, well, it didn't work for them is Korea. And Korea, you know, they played uh, in the Final Four in 2009 and, you know, a, a team that ended up uh, as a, a challenger in that last stage to Japan and they didn't get the win. Um, but we've seen Korea kind of take a step back in recent years, which is interesting. And um, that's a, a group comprised of some of the best baseball players in the world. And they just could not get it together for those first few days uh, in Tokyo. And yeah, it is just so unique in that way. I think, you know, the Olympics for basketball, let's say, are a really good example because you can get those guys together for a training camp and throw them out there and the dream team is going to be the dream team more years than not with baseball and with the classics specifically it's so different because the timeline is so much more compressed to get everybody on the same page and then you just throw them right into gameplay and you hope it works out um and we're we're definitely seeing what happens when it does work out uh you know for teams like like the u.s and uh it's going to be a very fun next few days to see where this thing ends in uh, in miami Speaking of working out, when you look at Otani and how, boy, this experience that we're getting to take in as baseball fans, um, the perfect stage for him to display his skill set and he has taken full advantage, right? Yes, and not only that, but I think he is so gracefully mindful of the place he occupies in the world of baseball. That's what blows me away about Shohei Otani, maybe more than anything else. He does these little things where it just shows off how much he knows the banner that he's carrying for baseball. And today was the perfect example. He got off the charter flight in Miami today wearing a Czech Republic hat that he had gotten from that team. Mm -hmm. And he, I think, is just so aware, you know, immediately after – Japan beat the Czech Republic in Pool B. He posted a picture on Instagram of the Czech guy standing outside of their dugout, and he just put respect with the mm. Czech flag. And knowing what he means as a figurehead in this game, there are a lot of people who don't want to take that on. You know, I think Mike Trout was reluctant for a little while to step into the spotlight as the guy in baseball, and I think he's done that very, very well as he's matured as a player. But Shohei Otani has not only the focus of somebody like Mike Trout for being one of the greatest players in baseball, but also the entire nation of Japan. I mean, yeah. it's Ryan Roland Smith told us a story of in 2009, after Japan won its second straight World Baseball Classic, he was in spring training with the Mariners, and Ichiro Suzuki was essentially placed on the shelf. He was on, you know, kind of, it was spring training, so not exactly the injured list, but didn't take part in games because he was suffering an ulcer from the stress that wow. he had 
been under, you know, leading that Japan team. And so for Shohei Otani to be so graceful the way he is in the spotlight, what he does on the field, he is just, we are witnessing greatness every single day with that guy. And he could not be more lovable, uh, more gracious, uh, more present in the moment. Um, And I really admire him a ton for that. And his country responding with it seems like the love for the game. I mean, I, I saw a number, I should have jotted it down, but the percentage of televisions that were tuned in uh, to the last couple of their games was just astounding. It was, it was higher than, the, I believe, the Super Bowl number here yes. in the U.S. Yeah, I believe that they had a 46% share for their last game, which is, uh, I mean, that is, if you think of one of every two human beings that you see on the street, watching the same thing on television i mean that is mind-boggling and uh it's something that i don't think you know american sports have really compared to the super bowl gets a great share but i'm pretty sure it's not that high uh it's i mean it is it's a thing that really just boggles your mind and when you look at people with you know very cynical or short-sighted takes about the world baseball classic of you know oh somebody suffered an injury so we have to call this off um it's the lunacy of that especially viewing it just through the prism of, well, this is not something that aligns with my interests or my goals in this moment. You cannot look at the world's reaction to the World Baseball Classic and see it as something that should be called off just because it's not serving the interests of whatever you see or whatever you think the American sports fan uh, should be exposed to or whatever it is. It's meaning so much to so many people around the world. And now it's doing it for countries that have never been on the baseball map. You know, Great Britain's an automatic qualifier for 2026. The Czech Republic is an automatic qualifier for 2026. Australia will be back in for 2026. It's just something that is still meaningful to so many people around the world um, that it really is. It is something unlike we have ever seen before um, in an extremely good way. Yeah, I thought your Twitter account, I guess today, um, earlier today, did a pretty good job challenging some awful takes uh, based (laughs) on the Edwin Diaz uh, injury. And so unfortunate, but I mean, as you said in that thread, that can happen across the Grapefruit League or anywhere else that's going on where people are preparing to do anything or I'm a Braves fan and and Soroka's return as simple as you know, just walking in uh, to the clubhouse to, to re-injure, to do some, some funky stuff. So that, that's kind of right. a weird argument based on, on the Diaz thing. Right, and it's heartbreaking. I mean, seeing seeing Diaz suffer that injury is brutal, and uh, you don't want to see anybody suffer an injury in any way. And You know, I hope he comes back stronger than ever. But by the same token, the injury didn't even happen during a game. Like, it wasn't a baseball thing that caused that injury. Um, and people will say, well, yeah, but he was celebrating because of the World Baseball Classic. Somebody posted a video of Edwin Diaz and a bunch of guys in a Grapefruit League workout from a couple of years ago where they were playing a game. You know, it's teammate versus teammate and something, and I'm not sure what the game was. But when that was over, they were all jumping up and down celebrating. Like, these things sure. happen. And freak, terrible moments are freak and terrible but they should not cause the dissolution of an entire event because of that. And to me, I mean, that's just asinine. And yeah, the point I made was, you know, Gavin Lux for the Dodgers tears his ACL flying around second base in a spring training game. I didn't see anybody on social media calling for the end of spring training after that. Um, This didn't have anything to do with, well, Edwin Diaz had been ramped up too quickly or he wasn't prepared or anything like that. Like the injury is awful, but the injury is not because of the World Baseball Classic. It's a freak, terrible thing. Um, And thankfully, you know, I think 
the the people who make the decisions on these things are a lot more rational about it than just the the hot take economy manufacturers on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's uh, it's awful, and I hope he comes back, you know, better than ever in in 2024. Um, but I think the event players are still going to commit for the event knowing the risks because they want to be part of it because it is something that is unlike anything else they'll experience in their lives yeah watching the u.s coverage it seems like trout was almost so jealous of of the event that he had turned down that's a really cool storyline uh with him the way that they're describing it during the coverage is that he really felt like he missed out and to see the way that he is played it certainly uh, feels that way and not only that, but the way that he turned into a, a recruitment voice for everybody else on that roster. You know, he was the guy who got Mookie Betts involved. He was the guy who was, you know, texting players and asking them to be part of it. Um, and that we talked about this uh, in either either in Taiwan or last year during the qualifiers in Germany and Panama. But what Major League Baseball gambled with with the World Baseball Classic was they were going to need players to buy in. And after the 2006 edition, you could see that it was already happening because players were going back to spring training and telling their fellow players, oh, it was incredible and you've got to be part of it if you ever have the opportunity. That's what's made this event successful is you're getting now the best players in the world who are saying, oh, this is good enough for me to dedicate my time and my energy and my focus. And uh, the level of play in the Classic has improved ungodly amounts because of that. And uh, now we're getting ready for the the best, you know, final four uh, in baseball history coming up uh, at the start of next week, regardless of who's there. I mean, we know Japan and Cuba will be there. We'll figure out uh, who the other two teams are tonight and tomorrow. But um, this is just the greatest baseball tournament that the world has ever seen. And uh, and we still got five games left, which is pretty dang cool. Yeah, it's awesome stuff. Tyler, I'm, I'm past my time, but I've got a ba- uh, broadcasting <laughs> nerd. Uh, question what led uh, to this opportunity what's next for you what's what do you normally call I know you're out in the Denver area and and associated I believe with one time uh, with Denver University Athletics but kind of tell our listeners where they can follow your broadcasting career and kind of what led to this opportunity yeah man that means a lot thank you i um yeah i've had a very unorthodox route i think to get to this point i uh i did work in minor league baseball for four years i was with the Myrtle Beach pelicans in south carolina for a year and then or for three years then i was in double a uh the pittsburgh pirates organization for a year but kind of left play-by-play for a little while came back home to denver did get involved with university of denver athletics and i still do some stuff with them Uh, i do basketball on the radio i do hockey on tv um but yeah i over the last since 2015 I've done international baseball broadcasting work, um, and that's sort of due in in large part to uh, some work that I had done with the Australian Baseball League. I helped launch that league. I lived in Sydney for that first season wow. back in 2010-2011 and made some connections there and uh, got a, a gig starting to do some international baseball stuff in 2015, and that sort of evolved doing you know World Cup events and Premier 12, which is uh, kind of the highest level international competition outside of the, the Classic or the Olympics. Um, so I've been doing the international stuff for a little while and just kind of came about through that. I, uh, I also have done a lot of writing um, in recent years, working for uh, minor league baseball and for MLB Pipeline, for MLB.com. And um, it was actually through a meeting that I had with MLB International about potentially doing more prospect coverage on the international side for MLB Pipeline. But the conversation got started about, you know, hey, I know these qualifiers are coming up. What's your mm-hmm. broadcast situation? And, 
got my name submitted for that and, and ended up uh, kind of taking the ball and running with it. So, um, yeah, I'm not uh, I'm not sure what's coming next. I'm very hopeful that this opened the door to some cool stuff this year. And I got a, a good feeling that maybe it did. But um, I'll certainly be uh, I'll be posting on social media if I get any <laughs> new yeah. and cool opportunities. Um, but, yeah, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Absolutely, man. Your passion for the game, the passion for what you've done. Uh, jumps through your socials and also through your coverage. So if you would, Tyler, give our listeners that um, I know you're on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd give them yeah. uh, something to follow you on there. Yeah, so I'm, I'm at Tyler Maun, M-A-U-N on Twitter. And I actually just started an Instagram for, uh, for all the play-by-play stuff. So it's at Tyler Maun PXP, like play-by-play. Um, and that's where I'm going to kind of post all my work-related stuff on, uh, on Instagram. So, yeah, if you want to give me a follow, I'll certainly – I probably tweet too much. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's somewhere I'll keep you updated if I get cool stuff coming my way. Awesome, man. We appreciate your time and appreciate uh, you giving us this conversation about a really cool experience. So thank you, Tyler. Clay, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate your time as well. Absolutely. Thank you.